Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Don't know. My name is Josh Wilhite. I'm uh, one of the directors of equipping here. I oversee men's equipping and co-ed equipping. Uh, it's my privilege to run with men through men's Bible study and other programs like that. And um, yeah, it's also my privilege today to help us get back into the book of Hebrews. See, if this is your first week here or maybe last week at Easter was your first week here and you're checking us out again, what you might not realize is that we just spent 23 weeks prior to the resurrection season of celebration. We spent 23 weeks. That's a Michael Jordan number. That's a goat number, right? 23 weeks unpacking the book of Hebrews chapters 1 through 11. And what we've heard over and over and over again is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than whatever might tempt me to think uh, 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 is, is better than him, right? He's, he's, he's better in every respect, and he's absolutely worth giving my entire life to, giving our entire lives to, pursuing, living the way he lived. Jesus is better. And so the, the writer of Hebrews has been stacking these points like, like firewood, one on top of the other, convincing us for weeks and weeks and weeks that Jesus is better. And what we're going to do today is we're going to step into Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to pick up the conversation there together, where what he's going to do as a preacher is he's pivoting from informing us to now helping us understand, here's what we need to do. He's about to get practical. He's about to turn us to the, the question of how. And uh, so go ahead and open your Bibles to cha- Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That's where we'll be today, just three verses. Hebrews chapter 1 through 12. And while you're doing that, I have a question for you to just kind of set us up. And here's the question. Outside of Scripture, who would be in your spiritual follower of Jesus faith hall of fame? If you recall, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we looked at a whole bunch of Old Testament saints. Some people call that the hall of faith, right? From people in the scripture. I wanna know people outside of the Bible that you know who followed Jesus all the way to the end. They faithfully lived their life pursuing him, maybe not perfectly, but in a way that made a dramatic impact. All right, if you're listening online, I want you to actually drop a name in the comments. And if you're in here, I want you to call it out. Who? Who are, what are the, what's the name of that person you have in your head who is your like pinnacle of faith outside of the Bible? Hit me. Sproul, Billy, Billy Graham. I heard someone over here. Hey, what? D.L. Moody. Dallas Willard, my man. Uh, that's, a, that's a name to Google. Who else? Oswald Chambers. All right, cool, 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 cool. These are like big names. How about people in that, that maybe aren't famous? Your dad? What's your dad's name? Robert Smith. Robert Smith. Can we have a moment for Robert Smith? Can we give Robert Smith a hand? All right. Who else? Lula Mae Robertson. One more time? Lula Mae Robertson. Robertson. Who is that to you? Your grandmother, Lula Mae Robertson. Awesome. Thank you, Lord, for Lula Mae. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to, if you're online, if you're here, I want you to stop and whatever that name is, all right, of all the names you're thinking of, that one name, whether it's someone that you would say is prominent to all of us or that no one's ever heard of, I want you to imagine you are sitting at coffee with that individual, all right? Maybe you're down in Plano at 1418 if you're cool like, you know, people who go to... Uh, uh, 1418 down in Plano, or maybe you're a Starbucks person. Rob will try to, you know, connect with you afterwards because he loves Starbucks. 
All right? Wherever you are, whatever your cafe, whatever your place where you get one-on-one with somebody, and I want you to imagine you are having coffee with that person, okay? And they lean across the table at you. They, look, they lock eyes with you as someone who has seen Jesus in all of their confidence having walked faithfully with him. They lock eyes with you and they say, okay, my race is run. You're up. It's your turn. These shoes of mine that I walked in, it's time for you to fill those shoes in the space where you live with all of your issues, with all of your brokenness, with all of your questions, with all of your confidence, it's your turn. How do you feel? (laughs) Somebody said pressure. Who, Who agrees? You feel some pressure there? Maybe some of you in the room actually get excited. I was walking through this with my wife last night. She's like, you know, yeah, I actually get kind of excited at that thought, right? Man, way to go. But a lot of us in the room, if you're like me, you hear that, you're like, Billy Graham, come on, son. Like, really? What am I supposed to do there? Maybe your thought is uh, a lack of confidence. Maybe what you would have to say if you were being honest is you'd look him in the eye and in a moment of authenticity, you'd say, look, if you knew what I was looking at on the internet just last night, you wouldn't be saying that to me. If you knew the baggage, the background, the weakness, the insecurity that I have, you wouldn't be saying that to me. And yet they would lean in. I guarantee you, if these are people who know Jesus, who saw him, who have lived faithfully and who met him, they would lean in and say, no, really, you, If you claim Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection in in your life, listen, your, your, your life for Christ may not be one of prominence. You may not be called to prominence, but every single person in the room who claims Christ is absolutely called to a life of significance. It's a guarantee. It's a calling and it's a guarantee in our lives. And so we may not be called to prominence, but we are absolutely called to significance. And I believe that individual who has met Jesus would look across the table at you, you, and say, now's your time. Run the race. And I think what they would do in that moment is they would open to Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, where we'll be today. And they would unpack for you what I wanna help unpack for you and for me this morning. When we are confronted with what may be exciting, what might may be terrifying, and that is the question of how do I run my race well? How do I endure? How do I finish a race well? In a world where everyone seems to be falling, pastors, big names, people that I know, everyone seems to be faltering, failing, falling, struggling. How do I run the race well? Well, I think they're gonna open to Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, and I'd like to do that with you, okay? So are you there? You ready to read it together? All right, now just a note, I'm gonna, don't worry about the translation here. I took a few liberties. I mean, what's the point of going to seminary if you can't flex it once in a while, okay? So don't, don't, don't freak out, okay? All right, so here's my translation, the JWT, it's basically a knockoff of the NASB with a few adjustments, okay? Just relax. All right. Verse one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, or you could say, therefore, we also having such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay aside every impediment and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And if you weren't part of this series so far, what you might not realize is he's writing to people who are struggling. Their knees are weak, they're wavering in their faith, and they're fixing to quit. And this entire book is driving to this moment saying there's a million reasons, at least 23, for why you shouldn't quit, so don't quit. And now in chapter 12, verses one through three, he's gonna shift gears into the doing. All right, now a, a, a note on structure before we dive into the meat of this. Uh, uh, this is an interesting passage, right? Because he doesn't start from the beginning and go to the end. I wanna help you understand that there's one key core verbal command idea in verses one through two, and it's actually tucked in the middle. And it's this, it's, it's let us run with endurance the race set before us. Okay, that is the push. That's the gear shift from the why to the what. What we are called to do, just like that, that faithful saint looking across the table at you, is to recognize that we all have a race to run, every one of us, and we are called to run that race, whatever condition we find ourselves in. We all have a race to run. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But there's these three other kind of key verbal action ideas. And I want you to think of the let us run phrase as sort of the coat rack and each one of those ideas is what he hangs on, what, what, what feeds into, what comes out of that one command, okay? And that's where your English translations can get you a little wonky, so that's why I want you to go with me in my JWT, all right? My Josh Wilhite translation. So we're just gonna move through those, those one at a time and kind of unpack them for you. But, but that whole idea of let us run the race, just a couple points before we dive in deeper. We each have our own race to run. Every one of us has a race and our races are different. We're faced with different challenges. We start in different places. Some of us have a dad, some of us don't have a dad. Some of us have medical issues, some of us don't. Some of us have kids, some of us don't. Some of us, some of us have marriage relationships, some of us don't. We start, we have different kinds of races, right? Every race is different, every race is significant, right? Every race is difficult. I don't know if you realize that, it's hard enough to live in this life with all of the things a person confronts in a regular life. The loss, the pain, the medical issues, the logistics, right? Every race is difficult, but when you add to that the call of Christ to in that soup of difficulty, choose to go do the counterintuitive thing and lay your life down for other people. That's a special kind of heart. No wonder a lot of us struggle, right? It's challenging. It runs against the grain of every fiber of our being. So every race is different, every race is difficult, but every race is doable. Jesus Christ would not command us, invite us, drive us to run a race that is not doable. So yeah, I know that based on what you see in the news, based on what you see around you, the vision in your mind is of a boneyard of people who never make it. Does anyone make it? Well, the scripture's gonna speak into that very directly with the first sort of supporting action item. Okay, he's gonna give us three action items to run the race well. Actually, before I get to that, let me point out the key word of the entire book of Hebrews. I almost missed that. And it's the word endure. Because the command isn't just to run. The command is to run the race, your race, with endurance. You wanna know how to, how to run well, how to live well, how to be faithful to the end. It's not about being spectacular. It's not about being special. It's about enduring. All right, so if you're running well, recognize you will hit a wall at some point. You wanna, you wanna finish well, well then you gotta pay attention to what does it mean to endure. 
And if you're struggling and you've hit the wall, then of course you're ready to hear. Hey, the, the, the race boils down, finishing the race boils down to enduring. And so we endure. It's a key word in the entire book and it's definitely a key word in the passage. So how do we do that? How do we endure? Three ideas. He's gonna tell us to get plural, to get light, and to get focused on Jesus. Let me show you. So that first key verbal idea under run the race is this, is it's having, we also having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It's this passive idea. There's no doing with having, you just have it, right? Having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. It's easy to miss this, but there's just two things I wanna point out before we move on, all right? A cloud, the great cloud of witnesses. What he means here is not people necessarily watching you. The word witness is at the core of the rude martyr. The people who have a witness, people who are witnesses who, who, who their life demonstrates the truth, okay? They are the martyrs. They are the witnesses. And it's, it's, it, we're coming out of Hebrews 11 where there's a list of all of these Old Testament saints. And we just named off a whole bunch of people uh, uh, since then who are this great cloud of examples of people who have gone before us, been faithful, and proven that it can happen. You can finish this race well. And so the action item here is it, just with this whole idea of this great cloud of witnesses. Yes, they're alive. Yes, they will be at the finish line embracing you as you come in. If you've ever seen the end of a long endurance race, it's, it's a riot of fun. And, and on one level, yes, that's what he's saying here. You have a great cloud of witnesses who will receive you at the end of this race. But the power of this statement is not that they're necessarily cheering you on now. The power of this statement is that they are examples of people who made it. I don't know about you, but I only ever hear about people who don't right? I only, those are the ones that get embedded in my heart, the big names who fall. Seems like that's all I ever hear about. But listen, if you want to counteract it, if you want to endure and, and, take, in, and, and take in the reality of what he's saying here with, with the cloud of witnesses, let me just give you one practical thing you can do. Read some biographies. Start paying attention, read some biographies. If you need somewhere to start, a guy named Metaxas wrote two great books, Seven Men and Seven Women, two different books that will give you an opportunity to just sit in people who did run well. Because for every person that falls, I don't know if you realize this, there's that many more who don't. So, so pay attention to the biographies going on around you of people who are doing well. And read about the people who have, like my boy Dallas Willard, who just went home to be with the Lord just a few years ago and left an indelible mark on my life, faithful living. Or my grandfather, who was a missionary in the Philippines for years. He was the first Westerner that a whole bunch of Filipinos saw in the 50s and 60s and brought the gospel out there, paying attention to the people who have finished well. And so, so we pay attention to the great cloud of witnesses, but there's another little, little tidbit hiding in this little phrase. Therefore, we also. I don't know if you realize this, but this whole passage is in the plural. So while we have a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, we are actually not running alone. The writer includes himself and the whole time says, we will let us run this race. In other words, you're not alone in the race. You realize that? When the pressure's on and my knees are buckling, a lot of times it's, 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 there's a correlation to how much I feel like I am on my own and how much I have isolated myself from the influence and the effect of godly people around me. Can anyone... Can anyone attest to that in their lives? Yeah, so simple idea here. Pay attention to biographies of lives going on around you and get next to people who are running well. Get next to people who are running well. You want to endure, you want to live faithfully, you want to fill those shoes, 
Get plural. Get out of the singular and get plural. Pay attention to those who have gone before you, learn from their lives, and get next to people who are running well. And I'm gonna punch you right in the forehead lovingly and say that is why community is critical at City Bridge Community Church. That's why we don't back down. We know it's hard. But it's a fundamental to finishing well is to get plural. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. And he gives us another line. He says, laying aside every impediment and the sin which so easily entangles us. That's our next big verbal idea, our next big push. You want to run well, you want to run this race with endurance, you get plural, and then you get light. You get plural and you get light. Any runner knows this. Any runner knows this. It's always, marvel, it's always a marvel to me that the beginning of every marathon that I've ever heard of, and I used to actually have a job where we sold running gear, right? We would travel to marathons around the country and sell running gear at these giant conventions that happen around marathons, right? And what was so funny and ironic to me is like the whole point is to finish well, but we're trying to sell you pounds and pounds and pounds of gear, right? And you'd see these people walking around buying all this stuff and loading up and strapping it on, and you're, at some point you're like, don't you feel like it's a little too much? And that's what he's saying here. Look, you want to endure, then you got to get light. And he gives us two things to put off, to lay aside, to strip off. I use the word impediments. Maybe your translation says weights. I'm going to unpack that a bit in a bit, in a bit as far as why I don't think that's a great translation. But first, let me hit you with sin. He says, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. I want to start there because I think it's pretty straightforward and obvious. Sin will wear you out. Sin will destroy you. Sin's a thief. You've heard it up here before. I'm going to say it again. Sin will take you farther than you intended to go. It'll cost you more than you expected to pay, and it will keep you longer than you intended to stay. When the pain comes, I'm tempted to medicate, right? It's just me, I'm sure. I'm tempted to medicate. I'm tempted to turn my attention to things I can control that will make me feel better now. See, that was my story for, for much of my life. I have plenty of sin I could tell you about that's present tense that I'm working on, right? But man, the big granddaddy for me for most of my life was a pornography addiction that, that, that was huge when I was younger, but the problem was that I got some victory in my adult life to the point where it would just haunt me once in a while. It, it became a low enough burn that I could convince myself that it wasn't as big of a deal. This is just what it means to be somebody who's recovering from addiction, Right? And I wasn't confessing it. I wasn't dealing with it. And I was telling myself that it doesn't hurt anybody, but I was using it to medicate for the difficulties of life. I'm sure it's just me, right? And it wasn't until some time ago that I came to a point of confession. The Lord brought me to a point where I realized that confession is a gift and an invitation, not a curse and a demand. And I confess to my wife, I confess to my community, and I confess to the spiritual leaders in my life, and I got it all out, and I went into Regen Recovery Ministries, which is every Tuesday night at City Bridge, because City Bridge gets that if you want to endure, you have to lay aside your sin, because it's eating you alive. You know what happened when I confessed? I realized for the first time how much weight I had been carrying, how heavy it really was. It was that whole frog in the kettle thing. I thought it was normal to be hunched over. I thought this was just how you lived. But man, when I confessed and I worked it out and I got that out of the way in my marriage and in my relationships, man, I'll tell you what, I felt what it feels like to run lighter. So listen, if you're in the room, especially if this is your first time here and you're not familiar with this as a norm here, 
This is a high call, safe place environment. Let me invite you. Look, that one thing that you intend to take to the grave that you don't want anyone to know about you, that is a weight that is hindering you and you will absolutely wear out. And I have a feeling that as you listen to my voice and the Holy Spirit, you know I'm right. You feel it in your bones. And let me invite you to confess and be free of that weight. You can come right up front. I will have that conversation with you. You come Tuesday night, this week, you will find people who will love you through that. So lay aside sin. Let me encourage you, lay aside sin, it's worth it. But he doesn't stop there. And I saved this one for last, for the second point, the, the putting off weights, because honestly, I think that at City Bridge proper, most of us get the sin conversation. We've had it a lot here, and I love that about this place. But the one I don't know that I've heard a lot yet is this one where he says, lay aside the encumbrances, the weights, the impediments. Why I don't think weight is a great translation is it misses the fact that it's not just that it's heavy, it's heavy in such a way that it impedes your progress. It slows you down and it wears you out. Now, why does he differentiate that from sin? Because sin certainly does that. I think it's for this reason, because there are things that are inherently good things that are not sinful, but are absolutely not helpful for you. That may be different for me than it is for you. We all have a different kit that we're called to carry, a different way that we can thrive in our walk with Jesus, different tools and resources that we need. But I'm gonna say to a, forgive me, I love you, hear this in love, but to an affluent North Texas City Bridge Church, that I have a feeling that if there's one prophetic call for us this morning, it is to pay attention to the burdens of the blessings that we carry. Because there's a chance that they are absolutely slowing you down. Let me give you some examples. I could pick a hundred different things as I chewed on this in my own life and in your life. But maybe it's those possessions that God has blessed us with. It could be anything. Let me, let me just, how, about, how about the dream home? The dream home that we moved to Plano to get or to McKinney to get, that we were finally able to get our hands around. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful, it's blessed. And for many of us, it's a space where ministry happens. But I wonder if for some of us, the amount of time and money and energy that goes into not just procuring, but having and maintaining a given home is, 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 just getting sucked into the black hole of you? Is there a chance that there's so much more you could be doing in your race, so much more you could be providing for the, for the kingdom and the world around you, but you don't have the time, the energy, and the money because you're saddled by this blessing of a home? Is there a chance that you can't find community because that perfect home is like 30 miles from anyone else? Is there a chance that maybe the barrier between you and getting plural is the blessing that you're, you've got loaded on your back. That's just one example of many, but I hope it helps you to see that. Is it your car? Is it your 401k? Is it your, your demand that retirement look a certain way? Listen, if that's you, I got a book for you. It's called God and Money. Read it. Write it down. Go get it on Amazon. I don't care if you pause right now and order it on Amazon and get it to your door tomorrow. 
all right? It will blow your mind. And there's plenty of other resources out there that'll help you think differently about your resource as, as absolutely a blessing. And all of us have different finish lines for what we need to maintain our lives well and to be the blessing God has called us to be in our gifting. All you Money Wise people, I see you. You're like, yeah, right? Right, there's a team here called Money Wise who would love to help you sort this through, by the way. Right, I see you. Uh, man, there is freedom in letting go of even some blessings. All right, students, maybe for you, is it that you gotta have that upgrade on your phone? You gotta have those shoes. You gotta have those grades. You gotta have these things that are good things, but they are weighing you down. Maybe in a more, uh, uh, less concrete sense, is it your expectations and demands for your relationships? If you're single in the room, I gotta get married. Absolutely have to. I have to be in a relationship in order to function well. I need that. You know what? That's a beautiful thing when God gives it. But you know what? When he doesn't, he's still good. And is there a chance you are burning so much of your RAM, your time, your energy, your focus on pursuing this good thing as though it is what you really need or hanging on to it? Man, your expectations and demands on what a healthy marriage should look like. Are you hanging that over the head of your spouse your expectations and demands on what a good community group should look and feel like, where they should all live. Is that why you're still singular? Is that why you're grading at community? Because of these good things, their desires for good things. But man, you know what? Sometimes the desire that we have for a good thing clouds our vision so we can't appreciate and live into the thing we actually have. Are you feeling me? You know this is in love, right? Because I know I'm getting personal. We could go on and on and on. But let me just encourage you, an action item. Go get God and money if we're talking about possessions. If we're talking about something broader than that for you, let me just encourage you to do an inventory with God. This week, mark off some time to start inventorying. What are the things that I may be hanging on to in my pack that are good things but are getting in the way and wearing me out. Because listen, maybe a big reason your walk with Jesus is so hard is because of all of the good but unnecessary things that you are lugging around. Are we still friends? <laughs> can, can we still be friends? Hey, wounds of a friend. I've received a few in my day. So I need to pause because this is right in the message where we could slip into a massive error, a massive difficulty, another challenge for sort of Bible belt, Jesus loving people. We could slide into the error right here that with these first two action items of getting plural and getting light, that that is how we're gonna endure. If I could just get those things down that I'm gonna endure. And the thing is, he gives them to him because it's true, absolutely. Any runner knows that it's better to run with other people and it's better to be as light and fast and efficient as you can be. Any runner knows that. But the error is this, that we can so easily slide into thinking that it is fundamentally up to us getting it right. That is how we're gonna endure. And a, and a subtle tension can creep into your shoulders. And some of us love that. Some of us want to perform and like, give me a strategy to win and I will go do it. Right, Mike? 
Some of us love that. Some of us, if you're like me, though, you hear that, you get tense and you get nervous, you get frustrated because you're like, man, I've tried that stuff and I'm still struggling. I am face down on this running, running track and you're discouraging me. So let me show you something in the text that's really interesting to me. The one action item, he gives us those two action items before the call to run the race. Hey, this is how we prepare to run. But the one that really matters, he saves for after. This is the flavor he wants to leave in your mouth. This is the action item he wants to be fresh on your mind. This is the one that, that fortifies and justifies and drives the other two. And it's in this simple third action item. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the next action. So we get plural, we get light, and then we get focused on Jesus. You want to know how to endure? You want to know how to run your race well, finish well, and be a part of that cloud of witnesses for those coming after you? Absolutely, you get plural. Absolutely, you get light. But man, if you don't get this third one, you will struggle. And it is to get focused on Jesus, to fix our eyes on him. Let me just read this for you so that we give it its proper attention. Verses two and three says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now it goes on in verse three, for consider him who has endured, there's our word, such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we get focused on Jesus because where you fix your eyes is where you lead your heart. If you know Rob Barry, one of our elders here, uh, he was telling you this the other day, you, you know he's a runner and like a hardcore runner. And he coaches other runners at times and he was telling me about how, man, as a coach, there's a couple things I look for at runners to try to make sure that they're running well and will continue to run well. And one of them is where their eyes are, where their eyes are looking. He said, because, because when a runner starts looking down, you know it's about, to, it's about to get rough for them. It actually changes your posture, makes breathing harder, gets you tense in the shoulders. That's the physical. But man, in, in, the, in the mental game, in the spiritual game, that focus getting on your feet, in my mind, of course, you're focused on the, the problem, the challenge, this little space I'm in, how bad my feet hurt. You're focused on all the details here. And man, sometimes what you really need to do is just lift your eyes and look ahead at those who are running well ahead of you and at the goal, the next thing that I need to, hit, uh, to get to. So it's not crazy that he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on, on who's in front of you. Fix your eyes on the goal. That word, that phrase, fix your eyes, it basically means this, to direct your attention without distraction. To fight hard to eliminate the distraction, to focus so much. Have you ever done that? Focus so well on something that all the noise goes away? That's what you're shooting for. And in verse three, he gives us another command that's basically a parallel. He says, consider, consider Christ. And that's a different word. That word consider, by the way, it is a command. It's not a suggestion in the, in the original language. It's a command. Consider means to, to dwell on, to ruminate, to think about the particulars of, to, to just chew through something. 
So you focus your eyes on Jesus, you get focused on Jesus, and you consider. And he gives us a lot of things to consider. I just want to make a few points to, to wrap up this idea. He calls him our pioneer and our perfecter. What does that mean? Now, maybe in your translation, it's the author. I don't love that word because it doesn't capture the, the core of what the Greek is doing here. The word is basically a pioneer, a bushwhacker, somebody who went first, somebody who created a trail. All right, the Old Testament saints we saw in Hebrews 11, they were by faith following a voice, a vague sense of calling from God in some cases. And they were, they were following him for a promise that they didn't fully understand, a blessing they couldn't verbalize, which makes their faith so much more incredible to me. But we in the New Testament, we aren't just following a voice to a vague sense of blessing. We are following a clearly marked path of faithfulness. We're following an example. We're following a clear description of what it looks like for Jesus to live faithfully under as much or more pressure than we will ever see. We're following his example, and we're not just following him randomly. We're following him down a clearly marked path to a clearly described blessing of the kingdom of God now and forever in him. Amen? Man, he's the pioneer. He blazed a trail and he, he made a way. He, he bridged the gap between, I don't know how you're gonna bless us, God, but I trust you to. Now we know he came, he lived, he died, he was buried and he rose again to make a way for you and me by faith alone to have a relationship with him forever. He's our pioneer, but he's not just our pioneer. See, the pioneer focuses on what he's done for us. And so we fix our eyes on that. We build our confidence in that. And we follow that clearly marked path of his example. But a perfecter is another interesting word. The idea in the original language is that he's a filler-upper. He's a completer. He takes you from immaturity to maturity. He fills out all of the things. And so where you're lacking joy, where you're lacking peace, we were made to experience joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness. That's normal for people who are perfected in Christ. And we are on a path from wherever you started, whether you're nose down on the trail or running hard, we are on a path toward perfection because of what he's done and what he's doing. And so as a pioneer, we focus on what he's done. As a perfecter, we can also focus on what he's doing. It takes us back to the conversation we've had in, 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 in the book of Hebrews, how, how he's our high priest. He knows what it feels like. And so in a sense, he, yeah, he blazed the trail. He got to the end, and it says that he sat down at the right hand of God at the throne. I don't want you to hear that as distance. He got to the throne, but he, as opposed to this great cloud of witnesses, is at the throne, but he is accessible. He is walking with us. In men's Bible study, we explored Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. It's, oh, man. I always get teared up when I think about it. That God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we could cry out present continuous so that we could continually cry out, Abba, Father. He is with you, perfecting you. This is who we focus on, not a distant Jesus on a throne somewhere. Hebrews chapter four says we can draw near to that throne of grace right now. You dig? This is huge. And so we focus we fix our eyes, who for the joy set before him. You want to know what that joy was? The joy, I believe, was you. The one thing Jesus didn't have when he left that throne to run his race was relationship with his people because of sin. It's the one joy that he didn't already have. It's the one reason he would leave that throne. So he ran the race with lots of joy, victory in front of him. We, we saw that on Good Friday, so many joys. But man, at the core of it, the joy that he was before him was you. And now he's the joy before you. Perfect relationship with a God who loves you. Now, 
walking alongside of you, I could go on. Are you with me? We get focused on Jesus. So how do you do that? How? I believe there's a short game and a long game. I think there's a short game and a long game, and it's not all that spectacular. It might even seem underwhelming, and maybe that's why we struggle with it so much. How do you get focused on Jesus, whether you're running hard or whether you're nose down in the dirt? I think the long game is that you, 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 you work on building skills and habits into your life. Most basically spending daily time with time set apart. Get a time, a place, and a plan. Set apart some time daily to, to not just get content, but to work on connection with Christ. Listen, if you think that's just a religious thing, no wonder you're struggling, because I guarantee you, you are. It's a fundamental basic of building a time, a place, and a plan on a daily basis. Not perfectly. You miss a day. No one's judging you. The goal isn't to be measuring up. The goal is to connect with Christ. So let me encourage you to do that. We have a ministry here that, that occasionally will show up where you can learn how to do that. It's called Foundations. There's a ton of people who would love to help walk you through that. How to build a time and a place and a plan, building habits and skills for connecting with Jesus in your daily walk. But let me tell you, I get it. Some of us, we're just not there yet. Some of us, we're there and we still just get leveled. The boss lights into you. Your kids are just on fire around you, right? And, and you spent your time with Jesus, but it all just seems to have fallen out of your head, right? And your knees are weak, or maybe you just lost the, the love of your life right? Maybe the pain is so acute, it's not the chronic stuff, but it is something that is taking you down. What do you do in that moment to get focused on Jesus? There's a lot of things you can do. Can you tell you what I'm working on? I'm working on, as a guy who grew, grew up crusty Baptist, who related to Jesus as sort of a general that we love and that we follow for much of my life, I'm working on intimacy and where I'm realizing the battleground is, is in a daily time with him, and then in those moments, to do what I call a breathe prayer. I've stole this completely from the Handbook of Spiritual Disciplines, if you want to write that down. But I believe it's by Cochran. Lots of resources out there, but the breathe prayer is simply this. In a moment, to inhale truth and exhale truth, which means you got to go in with one. All right? So in my heart, in that moment, right, I'm, I'm struggling, my knees are weak, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna create a space where I can inhale, Lord, I know you're with me, thank you that I get to. Or maybe for you it's, Jesus, I'm losing my mind, but you say that you're with me. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring me peace. I don't know, what's your phrase? It doesn't sound all that pizzazzy, does it? But this is the thing I'm gonna push on you is you just gotta give him the first crack at it. When it comes to intimacy with Jesus and focusing on Christ, what I'm learning is just give him the first crack. Before you pivot to your phone, before you pivot to social media, before you pivot to binge watching, before you pivot to cussing somebody out, no one would do that in here. Before you pivot to alcohol, before you pivot to the internet, before you pivot to whatever, in that moment to medicate, to change, to, or before you pivot to just doubling down harder, that's how you wear out, guys. Give Jesus the first shot at being who he says that he is in your life. You do that over time and you watch what happens. So you're sitting at coffee, 
with that person, they have just unpacked this with you. That if you want to endure, if you want to fill the shoes you're called to fill, you can absolutely do it. It boils down to simply this, not being special, not being awesome, not filling stadiums, not being impressive. It boils down to this, get plural, get light, and absolutely get focused on Jesus. To a man and to a woman, I guarantee you, any one of those witnesses will tell you that that is what made the difference. That's what I'm working on, and that's what I call you, City Bridge, to be working on this week. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.